Hello, and welcome to the Lunk Communique. This is our fourth show. My name is Monty, and to my right is... I'm Jackson. And in front of me is... Andrew. And this crazy <laughs> nut job on the other side of me is... Brian. And we are here today to talk about the educational system in especially this country. Um, who has something to say about it? Well, I mean, I think you're talking about the education system. Obviously, it starts with school. I mean, this, the public school system is obviously the the biggest piece of the educational puzzle in this country. And a lot of people really sort of take that for granted. But really, the question is, I mean, really, what is school? I mean, and you know, most people would probably answer, you know, without thinking, what well, it's a place to learn. And that's, I mean, that's more or less right. But really, the question is, I mean to learn what? What kind of learning really goes on in school? I mean, really, you look at it, and you have these classes that start very early in the morning, you know, before, I mean, especially with the sort of middle school and high school age kids, really before their brains even wake up. They kind of they kind of sleepwalk through the morning classes. I know I did. And for that matter, I could sleepwalk into the classes after lunch, too, because, you know, I, I never got eight hours of sleep on a school night anyway, because they started so early. But, you know, I mean, I mean, in the first place, you know, why, why does school start so early in the morning? And I would like to point out that, additionally, eight hours of sleep isn't, isn't even enough. Considering you may get less than eight hours of sleep within those years of your schooling, uh, children that are growing and developing need even more than eight hours of sleep at night. So it's that's pretty severe sleep deprivation to begin with. And, well, I think the main reason it starts so early is because the other function of, of school is obviously a daycare for parents. They have to go to their job, and um, it's, it's kind of like a state... Funded or a public funded daycare. Before we get off of this, I'd also like to point out that sleep deprivation is a tactic of brainwashing. <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional, but it, I think that definitely the school system is a indoctrination, a way of indoctrinating hmm. children. We should we should stay on this daycare thing for yeah. just a little bit longer. It's it's interesting to note too whenever. Whenever school teachers go on strike, because they're among the lowest paid professionals in the country, whenever school teachers go on strike, the first people to complain are business leaders, because these kids' parents can't go to work. Yeah. You think, does it all, does school also start so early to, uh, to sort of program it into kids' minds what they will later be doing when they go to work? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, not only, not only does school run eight to five so that these kids' parents can go to work, but you're really also conditioning the kids themselves to become the next generation of drones. And I would, I would kind of call it a psychological influence to condition children to say to them that you have no control over when you run your day. This is when the day starts. This is how it's mandated, and you will conform to that. I mean, it's, it's interesting to sort of contrast K-12 public school with, for instance, the college experience, where a lot of times where, you know, if you go into a class in college and it's a 90-minute class and the teacher only has a 60-minute lecture, 
he lets you go at the end of the hour because he's done with you. In public school, if you go into a 60-minute class and the teacher has a 45-minute lecture, you're expected to sit quietly in your seat for the last 15 minutes until the bell rings. This says something about conditioning kids to be used to being bored at work and still manning your post. And in addition to that, a lot of times they will give you more busy work. If you get the work done for the day, they may just give you something random to do that even has nothing to do with with what is being taught at the point. And from my experience, when you're let out of class, assuming that there's some sort of system like a bell, uh, you're expected to stay in your seats. You can't even socialize a lot of times at the end of the class. So you really are expected to just sit there and do nothing in a lot of cases. Okay, if it, if school is supposed to be conditioning, then it isn't... I don't think it's working all that well, is it? Because, I mean... Uh, High school kids, especially, they skip classes all the time. Hmm. So evidently, it's not working all that well. I think maybe on a on a slightly subconscious level, they may understand that it is an an indoctrination camp training futures wage slaves. I mean, maybe they don't recognize it consciously, but I think that they're rebelling on it on a sort of subconscious level. I would say that you don't even have to have that sort of consciousness subconsciously. You just realize that this form of education isn't relative to what you want to be or what you want to do in your life. That it has no function towards your ambitions as a human being. Well, how, how, how effective is it? We have to ask and, I mean, when you look at some of the statistics... And uh, we were we were going to come up with some statistics, but uh, Brian had a book. Yeah, I had a book. We back our shit up. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just just anecdotally, things that everyone's heard. I mean, a lot of people that you're going to talk to on the street, a lot of people that you that you may know, family members, don't know basic facts, hmm. especially when it comes to history. They may not know when the Civil War was fought, what it was fought about. Which more than more than that, I mean, people can. A lot of people sleep through their history classes so badly they they couldn't tell you which century we fought the Civil War in, and even a a, a disturbingly high minority of people want to place the Civil War before the American Revolution in our nation's history. And to address statistics, I mean, a lot of the population doesn't get into. Uh, math very well or, or understand it very well. I mean, you have to understand at a basic level to be able to even interpret statistics if it's anything more significant than just numbers. So why has the education system ha- why has it failed most or a majority of of the American population? Why does it seem to be ineffective? I think we have to take a step back here and to say that it fails is uh, assuming on what the purpose of the system the, is. The, the question is, I mean, you know, if you want to say that the, the, the public school system, the education system fails, the question is, who, who is it failing? Well, who does it work for and who is it failing? Its ostensible purpose is to educate people so they're well-informed citizens, but I think that the bigger purpose of it is what we were talking about earlier. Well, what do you consider well-informed? I mean, history is written by the conquerors. 
So what sort of information do you want your citizens to have? Well, that's the kind they get, especially when you consider history. It's completely whitewashed, um, romanticized version of American history. And even take it into mathematics. What do, what do you learn and what is our mathematics system devoted to? We have an entire branch that's accounting, that's uh, basically... Um, becoming a part of a workforce for the economy in the way that our economy functions. Doesn't okay. serve any valuable purpose. Kids don't pay attention to history. Sorry. Maybe they Regardless don't. of whether it's what what's being fed to them is true or if it's being manipulated or whatever. They don't pay I, attention. I think it comes back They're to passing the, notes to each other. I think about it comes back to the same is. issue. I mean how is this education pertinent to the students at all. If something doesn't relate to you and it has no value in your life, you think you're going to want to learn about it? I mean, we're talking about a bunch of uh, rich, dead white slaveholders and uh, various people throughout history. How much does that really relate to uh, little Timmy in his chair? In, in, the, in the book here that we were talking about earlier, it's called Lies My Teacher Told Me. By James Lowen, is that right? James Lowen. It's a must-read if you're interested in any of the stuff we're talking about today. Go and pick a copy of this book up right away. Uh, what he talks about in there is a reason why the education system has failed is because, he doesn't phrase it like this, but, I, but a lot of the kids do understand that it, it's, it's bullshit and it doesn't interest them. The, they're given this, uh, this version of history... It's extremely condensed, and it's it's talking about, or it's portraying all these white men as heroes, and it's it's just completely whitewashing what happened. And a lot of the, the students that are in minority groups, uh, American Indians, African Americans, they're not taught anything about their history. They're you know slavery is mentioned, and um, it's talked about lightly and then there you know there was a war fought over it and then America fixed the problem with slavery you know, and America prevailed and and now now we have the moral high ground again but it, it there's not no there's no talk not a lot of time is spent on abolition movements on on revolts from slaves i mean most 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 uh, students don't even know that there were a lot of slave revolts mm -hmm. and people involved in the uh, the abolition movement. I want to back up here. I mean, I want to. I want to back up even back up beyond. I mean, the the ideal the ideology and the indoctrination. I mean, one of the big things that makes history classes, in particular, in this country, so insufferably boring, is the fact that they are completely dehumanized. There are no human beings. I mean, these. I mean, I mean, all of the. I mean, the the human characters. The, all the human... I mean, the people are just characters. I mean, there's one-dimensional cardboard cutouts. History class is just a bunch of dates and places and numbers to memorize. They're, one of the things that you will, that you will ne next to never see in a history class, regardless of who they're talking about and whether we're supposed to officially love them or hate them, is a little something called motivation. These people don't even have motivation. They just they just did something. Right. And you compare it to, say, our television. History is full of, of drama and humanity and interactions and causes and social movements. 
And that's not represented at all in the history books. On TV. Social movements aren't represented on TV. No, I'm saying that the drama is is a big feature on TV. It's very important, but there's no drama in the history books. Well, they try They try to. They, they play like movies in history class. <laughs> and those are probably the high point of the history class example. It's one thing to just read the history of the Civil War as the story of this general leading this offensive, this general leading that offensive... And then you know that the high point. You don't remember any of those lectures the teacher gives, but when he when he puts on the movie Glory and you're watching guys getting blown away with cannonballs, you remember that. And to qualify, that's there are actually uh, no. I don't know when I, when I was in school. Even when they were playing the entertainment, kids slept through it. Well, that takes us back to the sleep deprivation bit. You're going to turn the lights out on these kids. They're going to put their heads down and go back and, to sleep. And to qualify, there are social movements in the history textbooks. There's the the civil rights movement, which is going to be your, your pinnacle, is, is the main thing in, in there. But you talk about civil rights, and you know that's all taken care of. It that, That's done. That's great. But there's still, there's no motivation there either. There's no passion. And there's, I mean, it's really, it's just... Martin Luther King was a great guy, and he did this, this, and this yeah. in this city, that city, in this place, in this year, that year, and this year. It's the same. It's really uh, the same batch and of it's stuff. All, it's all tied up. It doesn't have uh, a lot of the struggle leading up, or his character, or who he was as a person that brought him into the civil rights. And it doesn't have his endeavors after the civil rights. Did so, you Did you guys have to do flashcards? Because one of my teachers had flashcards, and I. I mean, that's that's basically. It's just a memorization. Yeah, memorization. Gimmick. Like I, who was the Desert Fox, Erwin Rommel? You know, it's like I don't know anything else about the guy. And you know, it, my my history education wasn't a good one, and I, I don't think that most people that I don't I don't think that most of the students that graduated actually got any valuable information out of their history class or how they're a part of the history and and how they can influence future events. I, I, I just don't think that they even recognize Well, that. Brian, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. What else about him do you need to know? What else do we need to know? Is a, a goofy little rhyme and a couple of factoids to memorize yeah. to help us... Yeah. And to tie this all together, what it's about, like Jackson said, is memorizing facts. It's not about comprehension. It's not about learning how to think or be critical, or understand things that happened in history. It's about remembering what's written down in the books. And really, if you spend ten minutes with a professional historian, and I'm sort of an aspiring one, so I can sort of speak for the club a little bit, <laughs> really, the, the entire point of history is to study the motivations of people that came before us, to figure out why we got here, and where we may be going with these motivations continuing to influence us. I mean, the history class in a K-12 public school is completely worthless because it doesn't even touch on it's any of that. It's telling you how great America is and trying to breed little nationalists is and basically what it's doing. I, I think here's an interesting point to bring in a, a common phrase. Those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And if we're not learning from our history, we're going to continue to do the same things that we've been doing. And obviously, when you want to get into the political indoctrination side of history class, that's very politically convenient. Obviously, we're, I mean, obviously, our government is a regime that's lasted in very stable conditions for 225 years. And obviously, 
they would love to see that form of history keep on repeating itself for quite a long time. I would like to drive this subject kicking and screaming from less from history and back into the general education topic mm-hmm. and go into one of one of the things that inspired us to do this subject, which is Jackson. You just said that you were an aspiring historian. Uh, you you have shown, or you have claimed an interest in maybe becoming a teacher. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and yet recently you have expressed conflicting feelings mm-hmm. about the profession. What well, what is that? I mean, it's it's not just a recent thing, but uh, he, he's speaking of a conversation we had off the tape recorder a few weeks ago. But I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a conflicting thing. I mean, we'll back it up just a little bit. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dishwasher, and I wash. Di- I mean, I wash dishes for a living, which is an incredibly mind-numbing, menial it's job. Cause, it's because you didn't go to college, Jackson, <laughs> or you didn't go enough. Because I didn't go enough. Yes, but you're you're going to fix that. That much is art. That that much. Well, now he's being sarcastic and adding things. I mean, you know, you know, obviously. I'm a blue-collar worker, and I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with blue-collar work, but I, I'm finding myself kind of tired of it. But my, sort of a personal conflict to me is I don't necessarily know where to go from there. Obviously, a lot of my a lot of my friends and political mentors are teachers, and that's always been sort of an attractive road to me. But it's certainly quite a conflict because. Obviously, I know how screwed up the school system is, and I don't really know if I really want to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, I think to uh, expand this a little bit, being a, a part of the school system is kind of uh, politically working from the inside, which has its own challenges and uh, issues associated with it. Well, they were able to uh, disillusion you with the, the system, or would you have come about that on your own? I mean, could you could you rescue other other kids from becoming basically yeah, slaves? To essentially, your influences were teachers, and the greatest influences I would suspect. We interviewed Ron Kurtenbach, and mm-hmm. he aspired to be a teacher and worked for many years to become one. And part of it, I mean, some of it is also a sense. Some of it, t- timing is also sort of a factor in it. In a sense, I may have gone through high school just in the nick of time, too. I mean. I mean, a lot of these teachers I had that were so influential on me are now very, very tied up with these graduation tests. And they have these new, you know, sort of a byproduct of this no child left behind. This whole idea of... uh, Basically, just the whole idea that you have to pass a little Scantron fill-in-the-bubble multiple-choice test to graduate high school... For, for math, for English, for science. Obviously, when it comes to history, they're finding these teachers, even the ones who, who know better and want to do better, are ultimately failing their kids and not letting them escape from the dungeon of high school if they don't just teach to the test and get these kids to memorize the worthless little factoids well enough to pass this sort of Gestapo test. And I would like to point out that while Jackson did have a lot of great teachers... I wasn't as fortunate. Results not typical. Right. So uh, you, you can't really take it for granted that you will have those influences in your life and in your as an opportunity as a student. Well, Jackson, 
During our conversation, you did have a few complaints about those mentors of yours regarding their encouragement of your future. Well, I mean, obviously, these folks who are already tied into the public school system or were tied into the public school system for a large portion of their adult lives, they tend to have a more idealistic conception of the, of the, of the institution that they work for. And it can be kind of aggravating with some of these people because they're prodding me to go back to school every time I talk to them as if it is the most important thing. And really, as far as where I'm coming from, I'm going to quote Frank Zappa here for a moment. Frank Zappa had something, and I thought this was so brilliant that I've just committed it to heart. He said, you know, if you want to learn, you know, if you want to, if, he said, if, I'll back up, if you want to pick up chicks, Go to college. If you want to learn anything, go to the library. You know what he also said? He said that communism doesn't work because people like to own stuff. <laughs> Future topic. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't saying I'm a Frank Zappaist, but he was right about the. the and I want to, I want to back this up uh, to go back to earlier education, since that's primarily what I believe we were going to discuss. Um, yeah, you can go to the library, you can use the internet, you can have a self-directed education, and that's what you're really going to need if you're going to become a historian or you really want to understand these issues. You're going to have to do it yourself. Um, so what does that say about our early education? I, I'm not sure. Can you go on a little further? Oh, sure. Well, um, what does that say by the... Uh, the intention of our education and where people start out in their process of learning. Well, I'll just I'll just start with this, and you can try to nudge me onto whatever track you're trying to ask this question on. But you know, I'll I use my Zappa quote on these teacher friends I have, and the the rebuttal is typically along the lines of. Yeah, but there is a certain value in a, in a guided education and being able to sort of take, you know, sort of the teacher as a mentor kind of ideal. There's this person, oh sure, I mean, you have access to the internet and to the library, so you can read anything you want, but how do you know what you're looking for? You can turn to this person who has age and experience over you and they can sort of maybe give you some shortcuts to where the good stuff is. I guess essentially my question is, uh, from an early age, what is education guiding you toward? Well, I, I'm, well, I kind of, I kind of want to back up to Jackson's mentors again because mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with this subject. Um, <laughs> does it does it have a, a more? Is there some? Is there are there more direct reasonings behind them encouraging you to go to school, namely that their profession is teaching? <laughs> Well, obviously, they don't necessarily have a direct influence. I mean, for some of these mentors, they're, they're high school teachers or they're retired teachers or, you know, you know, they're teachers in fields that I wouldn't even study. So, I mean, the direct answer is no. Obviously, I'm not going to be taking any more of their classes. Well, I mean, I mean what, I'm, what, what I'm saying is that they, they want to... Is, is Would there be an interest in them to promote the... The, the 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 field of school. Well, there's certainly there's certainly sort of a conflict of interest there. They certainly want to be good salesmen and women for their particular line of work. I know there's 
and I don't remember who said it, but there's another great quote that says that uh, it's almost, you know, that it's virtually impossible to convince someone of something if his paycheck requires him to not understand it. <laughs> you know, sort of how you're not, you're never really going to get, you know, uh, the CEO of General Motors to understand the need for environmental regulation. And these people, I unless mean, unless they develop an environmentalist division, which I think probably have. Well, did did you have teachers, uh, history teachers that? Uh, Influenced you to uh, view history in a, in a different way, other than the the way the textbook tries to represent it. Yeah, because I my personal experience, I, the one teacher that comes to mind is, is Michael Baker at Lincoln East, and formerly at Lincoln East. Oh yeah, East. formerly they ran him off a couple of years ago for getting his kids to think. You know, that's the yeah. What you, Michael Michael ba- Michael Baker was let go of his job, and the reasons why he were let go was because censored, censored, censored. <laughs> well, we can't talk about that. I think we can talk about it. We could. He was showing his. Students. He can't talk about it. He was. He was not allowed. He was basically blackmailed into not talking about it. He was showing his students uh, Iraq ER. Is that, is that what the show? I think he was showing Baghdad ER. Baghdad ER. Is it? Is basically just a documentary. That actually had graphic footage of U.S. But here's the thing: I mean, it wasn't presumably. Presumably, it wasn't because of. It wasn't really because of graphic content. That was that was just sort of a loophole they sort of used to get rid of him. That he'd maybe not done the proper parental permission slip, yada yada, and a couple kids oh saw blood and guts and didn't like it or whatever. Yeah. Okay, but but okay, it's it's a pretense. Yes, but still. I haven't seen the documentary, but apparently it, it's a it's a sort of HBO kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, so it's hardly left wing propaganda. Yeah, it isn't exactly. I think, I think some patriots at the school had some some problems with him showing children that that you know might have gone off to enlist, showing them the realities of war, and maybe maybe educating them so that maybe they wouldn't just go sign their butts away, so they had to go die in some hellhole. For the U.S. government, and I think they had a problem with that because the school wants to make little good little employees and good little soldiers and, and send them off to to fight for what they think is the greatest country on earth. And he he was going counter to that. But but why I brought him up is because I think he was the first teacher that uh, got me to think kind of differently. I think he was the first teacher that brought up some of the things like I remember in, in his class he was talking about the Vietnam War and how there was a lot of, of racism and, and basically a lot of um, influence in this country that was kind of creating the enemy into this like subhuman making it making them seem like uh, like they were less than human and that therefore it was it was alright to, to go over there and and drop napalm on their villages and kill thousands, millions of them. And you see that in just about every war. Look at um, what was done to Japan for World War II. I mean, Japanese citizens of this country were put into concentration camps, and then they bombed Japan and killed, what, hundreds of thousands of people. And it's really, it's not even... Millions. You don't even have to look at brown people 
in the third world. Obviously, those are those people are very easy to dehumanize with the racist history of this country. But obviously, I mean, the, even the Germans, and there was a large German population in this country, but even the Germans were reduced to bloodthirsty, animalistic Huns. Yeah. But Krauts. I mean, he, he was the first teacher to present history from like a, a people's perspective and not from uh, like uh, the perspective of, of the United States government being the uh, greatest country on earth that Ever. is, you know, given this God-given right to influence the world and, and wage war as needed. Question, Professor. <laughs> um, even the most liberal teachers think that this country is the best and that that should be projected. I hate that. Go on. Is <laughs> that a question well, or a comment? Both. <laughs> Question, I mean, answer, and or respond. Well, what you mean by liberal is you mean socially liberal, like they, they embrace progressive concepts like maybe uh, civil rights and equality for for uh, homosexuals or whatever, but they, but, but they still don't question the status quo, the what what the country, how the country is organized. And, and well, they're still pro-capitalist, and, they still, yeah, sort of, and they still sort of think that, well, this country has a lot of problems, but, you know... Let's get a black guy for president, and he will fix it, and he will make the system work. I, but this still, but this still, but this still, this country, as many problems as it has, is still the best in the in the world, and it should be allowed to control the world because of that. We're coming up on the halfway point of the show already. We're just flying along here. You're listening to the Communique on Lunk Radio, and with with that, I believe we are getting tremendously off topic here. Um, I, I want, okay, okay, well then I want no, to know, yeah, how the hell did you get all these great teachers? I think we need Why is it that you got special? <laughs> I got one person, and that was Ron Kurtenbach, and that was it. But you got Ron he wasn't Kurtenbach. A he wasn't a teacher, he was a guy on TV. <laughs> I think, I think we do need to talk about, though, how, like, in the universities... Results not typical. <laughs> in I the universities, there, there is a, 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 do, uh, Predominantly, you know, social liberals. I would say in the university. Yeah, is it is it is it true that is it but true that colleges are run by liberals? To an extent, but, like but all uh, the teachers are liberals, and but but what I, what we mean by liberals is people that are socially liberal, but they they they're they're still like you said they're still capitalist. They they think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the way society is organized. They just think that, you know, we need to be, you know, we need to embrace... Well, for, first and foremost, grade school teachers and college professors are disproportionately and overwhelmingly a large part of really sort of the vanguard of the Democratic Party in this country and with, all the, with all the strengths and weaknesses that that sort of allegiance entails. Did you want to be a grade school teacher or a college teacher? You sort of had you had, you had more of an interest in being a college teacher, a kindergarten teacher, I think. Okay, well, but you had you sort of didn't you sort the thing is you expressed an interest in being a sort of college professor. There isn't really an easy teacher. answer to the question. But you had you had problems with both of those. I do. I have I have problems with both of them. That's why it's not an easy question to answer. I mean, obviously. The thing about being a college professor is that you have far greater freedom. There are fewer curriculum limitations that you get tied up into, so you can do more of what you 
you can say more of what you want to say, but you will only get to say it basically to a small, privileged group of kids who already have this professional ambition to become the manager class, the next generation's manager class. The upside of being a, a grade school teacher, if you want to work for, within the system on that level, the upshot is you deal with more kids, you deal with kids who aren't necessarily from privileged backgrounds, and you get a chance to reach them while they're young enough that they maybe have a chance to change their mind. On the downside, you have to deal with kids. Now, uh, one thing no, I want to... I just want to finish. On, on the downside, I mean, on the downside universally is, obviously, you know, sort of the, the federal government and the state governments have sort of figured out that weakness in their ideological armor, and that's why you have these graduation tests to make sure these teachers are really only teaching the stuff in the textbook and not having time for any of the other stuff. That's that's one of my points that I wanted to discuss is teaching to the test because obviously if you mandate so much uh, memorized information to the test, you basically tie your teacher's hands in what they need to spend their time doing. And that's really a big reason, too, why the kids who are graduating from these schools don't know a goddamn thing. Because you really, you're really just geared your entire time through school to memorizing the stuff for the next test. And then as soon as you pass that test, you move on to the next test, and you quickly drop all that stuff down the memory hole to have brain cells left over to memorize the batch of stuff for the next test. Now, I, want, then, I want to address the way that people think, because people are not encyclopedias. They're not intended to remember factoids and just remember uh, information that has no no connection to other things that they learn. I do, but results not typical. <laughs> now, the thing is... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on. That Jackson... I hate you. <laughs> Jackson... I hate you. Also has a sort you don't of... Get um, any, you don't get any cavities. <laughs> Jackson also get all has these a teachers. cohesive understanding of... Of history, of he's you. putting all these pieces together, which is not a typical thing. It's not a thing that's encouraged in the educational system to look over history and connect the dots. I mean, it's it's a series of uh, unconnected facts, and people think in patterns. They think in observing trends and things that actually uh, make sense over time. And you consider that's not the way we're looking at history or any other subject. I've completely forgotten everything I've ever learned in school. I, th I think that if you, if you would have had maybe a more Socratic way of learning or, and engage the students and have them speak in class or, or however... Oh, hold, on, hold on, back up here, philosophy boy. What is a Socratic dialogue? Well, I mean, basically I'm talking about the students interacting, asking questions, but that's... From what I understand, the Socratic method is asking questions as a way of learning, and then it's having a, it's an educational process that's based on a dialogue with your mentor rather than the traditional American and I mean well most of the world, but we're talking about the United States in particular here. The traditional educational method is sit still and hold your hold your skull cap open while I dump stuff in your brain. Or memorize these flashcards and all these bland facts so you can I get it on the test. Get personally it right. speaking, I don't think that, that any kind of system of... Thank you for interrupting. You're welcome, Monty. I'm trying to gouge my eye out. Anytime. You were saying, Monty. This will be edited out. No. Starting...
I don't think that any any sort of system in 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 the current educational structure would would have gotten personally speaking would have gotten me to ever pay attention in school. Well, for one thing, if, if they don't, it doesn't matter. It's just the the formal aspects of formal education don't do not work. It doesn't matter how it's presented or how or how how it's how I can or how it's presented for me to deal with it. Uh, it doesn't work for me. Well, I Sorry. think I'd look back to what Brian was saying about the Socratic dialogue or having an actual connection between teachers and students. If you're not really engaging students at all, you're not really requesting anything of them. There's no active, it's not active learning. It's not trying to understand things. It's, it's basically you're forcing them into a mold. And that's really exactly the point, I think, though. We don't... I mean, really, the, the majority of kids, and you know, talking about kids are going to K twelve here. Most, I mean, basically, this whole system is predicated on most of the people keeping their mouths shut and staying out of the way. I mean, American democracy, if you want to call it that, is a spectator sport. There's really a handful of elitists who are supposed to run this whole system, while the rest of us sit politely in the stands and cheer them on. Now, I, since you're, you're bringing up early education, I want to tie this back to what the majority of my points are on. Uh, education is starting earlier and earlier, and you have preschool and you have pre-preschool, and we're talking about how this is a, day, a daycare system, and children start in these institutions earlier and earlier, which is convenient for the workforce and parents that need to go to well, work. Well, that's because parents have to send their kids somewhere while they go to work. Exactly. Well, right. And... and People shouldn't be having kids. <laughs> and parents that essentially have a connection with their children in, in many senses are having less and less time to spend with their children. The education is becoming more dependent on an institutional system. Well, I personally, if I have children, I'd like to do homeschooling with them, but is, is that a viable option for most people? Because if you look at it, there needs to be a dual income just to stay afloat above the poverty line. And one thing I wanted to tie into here is something that Jackson mentioned is uh, uh, opportunity determined by class, by socioeconomic status. Now, educational resources are allotted by region. Uh, if you're in a different region, you may have a different sort of education. You may have different opportunities. To make this a little more concrete, speaking specifically, you have you know an inner-city school district where the population is predominantly poor and black and brown, and their parents are working two jobs and making no money, there's no tax base, and those kids, you know, they're dealing with much older materials. They don't have as many computers. And you go out into the suburbs where all the affluent white people fled to about 30, 40, 50 years ago, and that tax base, their kids have everything under the sun to get them basically lined up for the first, second, and third best slots in college entrance exams and things like those. And I would like to tie into your intellectual brain drain, uh, because when we're talking about having more resources, what kind of teachers are you going to attract to those areas? Well, obviously, typically, a lot of the better teachers are going to wind up where they have more attentive students. I mean, obviously... If you're, if you're going to school with your stomach rumbling because you don't have enough to eat at home, that's a hell of a drain on your attention deficit, too. So you can either go to an inner-city school where they don't have anything and where the kids don't pay attention because either they're hungry, they're sleep-deprived, 
And, you know, obviously people in those neighborhoods, they, they know it's bullshit, more likely, too. They realize, consciously or subconsciously, that they're in a mold for some minimum wage work for the rest of their lives where they don't really care anyway. And I'd like to bring up something here that I think really illustrates uh, a sort of class difference. Now, I was fortunate enough to uh, live next to a school, which is uncommon. But people in a higher class, they're going to have available transportation. But you, Jackson, you, your history is um, is illustrative of this point, I think, and how much time you would use if you didn't have those resources. <laughs> Obviously, I spent a lot of time waiting for buses to get to school. And really, even I am not even necessarily that unprivileged on this. I mean, certainly you can spend a hell of a lot more time on a school bus in certain other school districts. I mean, the, the Lincoln Public Schools are actually they're actually pretty ritzy compared to a lot of other stuff you'll find in inner cities around the country. I'll tell you what. So what about what about homeschooling? Well, it's not an option for a lot of people. Um, and then there's also, you know, we, the thing that the kids miss out on is the, the social interaction with their peers. Unfortunately, if you there are program there are programs for homeschooled kids where they can have social interaction with peers, but a lot of homeschooled kids are. Most of the homeschooled kids are, they're homeschooled because their parents are... Religious fundamentalists yeah, who don't want their children to have their minds open to secular perspectives. And I'd, I'd like to do some simple math here. You consider that, that most people are that are employed and have any sort of resources are going to be working at least probably eight hours a day, if not nine or ten. And uh, if they're fortunate enough to have transportation, they also have to get to and from their job. If not, they may have to take buses and take hours of their day doing that. And uh, most of the uh, American public does not get proper sleep. So they're going to be sleep-deprived and probably have issues with that. If you also get eight hours of a day, we're talking about the vast majority of your day being spent in labor and sleeping. I had, I, I briefly did homeschooling in, uh, in high school aged. And, uh, well, I, I didn't, I did not admit, considering, considering what I was dealing with when I was in public school, I, I, I did not miss the social interaction at all. I was very grateful I didn't have any. Um, <laughs> But other than that, it of course we have to we have to clarify here that that Monty is something of a misanthrope and not necessarily. Yeah, I am not representative, representative of the other people. See, the the of thing the social is, needs um, of most human I, beings. I I hate you, and <laughs> that 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 is a, a big difference between me and just a shout other, out to the human race from Monty right these, there. These other He's ashamed people. of his species. Yeah. Um, but but the thing, the thing, I, the, the point I was trying to make was that the material presented to me in the homeschooling is pretty much the same. It was the same work that I was doing. I was just doing it in my bedroom. See, I'd like to go back to what we were talking about uh, earlier. Was a little bit about how education uh, prepares people for the workforce and how is uh, education determined? How is the the curriculum determined when children go to school. Oh, it's the basics for what they're going to need to be a wage slave, like in an entry level job. Like, uh, you know, basically what you're going to need to enter into your low paying 
bottom rung profession. And I, I would say it's taken for granted when someone learns and is taking in information as a human being in these schooling systems that what takes priority is uh, where they're going to go for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. is where they're going to fit within the system and what knowledge they're going to need. Okay, I know, I know that there wasn't... The, inten- the intention wasn't to focus on this originally, but I've become very curious. If this, if this is how normal kids go to school... What what is school like for the rich kids? I don't know, do we have any rich kids? If this is if 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 regular public school is is meant to sort of indoctrinate children into the working class sort of uh, gerbil wheel, then well, the rich kids preparing them for their college. I'd I'd like to go back to it, and I don't think we've we fully established. Um, how how schooling prepares people for the workforce, but we did address that. Essentially, people in uh, in regions in in areas that have more resources that go to the school essentially have better teachers, more resources, more opportunities, and I would suspect just a, a different way of looking at education because of all those. They have the resources and a, a different workforce dedicated to teaching them. So it's it's got to be entirely different just based on that. It's not necessarily entirely different. I mean, even I mean, I went to Lincoln High School, which is. Well, probably the closest thing to a sort of inner city high school in town. Although, again, Lincoln, Nebraska doesn't have nearly the same discrepancy in wealth and stratification you'd find in, you know, truly large cities. But I do, I mean, you you do see some differences even within the high school. I mean, I took a lot of the gifted classes, for instance, or at least what are sort of considered the diff or gifted classes. You took the gifted classes. And no, no, no. I hate you. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hear me out. The first thing you got to know about those classes is that they have nothing to do with intelligence. Not one goddamn thing. Nothing. It has to do with the kids who are the most eager and most prepared to jump through hoops. These kids are not necessarily geniuses so much as they are overachievers. And that's, in a sense, they're already sort of proving from a very young age that they are management material. And you were? I, I, was, a, I was a precocious little boy. No, I, I flunked my gifted classes because I wasn't good at jumping through hoops. How did you get into them, then? High test scores. I've always take, taken tests very, very well. Yeah, I think in, in that's, a per, that's a completely useless skill, by the way. I'm not bragging or anything. Well, you... you yeah... I think in, in many ways I might have been eligible for certain gifted classes, but I, I didn't um, demonstrate the aptitude. I didn't push myself to be an overachiever after a certain point, uh, which, which uh, relates to that. But I think one of the things that this leads into is uh, my talking point of schools being in many ways a, a case study or a record of students' failures. Now, um, these, these gifted students, uh, they're... They're trying their best to make the grade to do the test to to get the 4.0 or higher. They're they're shooting for the perfect GPA. They're juggling extracurriculars and they're filling out college apps for the Ivy League. Now, what they're doing here essentially is I've I've known some of these overachievers and they're basically dedicating the better part of their life to to this system, to uh, learning what they're told to learn and thinking the way they're told to think and basically giving up their life to that end. And, and that that slavish work ethic is really sort of, is really putting a little gold star over their head and going, management potential. And that's why these kids wind up going to the really good colleges. And a hell of a lot of them are very liberal. 
And the the way they, the way I they, just want to say that. What's your point? The way they get ahead in doing that is uh, basically going along with the system and uh, at that point obeying what the educational system tells them to value and to learn. Do you guys think that uh, a lot of the reason kids don't perform well in school, they don't want to be there, they sleep, they cut class, they go smoke pot, whatever, is it because just the coercive nature of it? I mean, legally... You're required to go to school until the age of 16. Yes. Um, up until that point, you can't drop out. I don't know what they would do to you if you refused. Probably throw you. That's out, what the truant officers are for. Yeah, lock you up, whatever. But I mean, what we have is just a system training people to do what they're told. <laughs> And I think a lot of kids recognize that, and that's why they don't want to go. And I think, you know, if we're going to talk about what what's wrong with the education system, we need to talk about what's a better alternative to it. Well, of course, you know? those those kids that are skipping school, they're 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 going, they're skipping it so that they can go and smoke pot and get drunk. So it isn't exactly lot, it isn't exactly enlightened. A lot of what I'd say is insidious. There is, I suspect that children that that are able to do that have less influence from their parents. I mean, parents can basically control your life to a large extent when you're raised that way. And I know that um, there's always an effort in the educational system to increase parent-teacher relations. And parents police your home life. Yes. Uh, you have a, a disconnect here between school life and your home life. And uh, Unless the parents and the teachers work in close union, and then you have sort of a full-spectrum authority over your life. And in that sense, you basically have no rights whatsoever, if that is uh, looking over the course of your life. Now, I, I experienced this to a, a large extent at home. Your teachers uh, tell you what to do, how to think, how to learn. And when you get home, your parents tell you to do your homework, to continue to be involved in school, uh, basically 24-7. And the, one of the biggest problems is that the students don't have any control over their education. They're not given the freedom to learn what they want to learn and learn it how they want to learn it the best way that works for them. Well, it's, this this society doesn't have individual freedom, true individual yeah. freedom, and we're not supposed to have it. So why would we expect any different from the public school system that really... Uh, shows us the way the world really works and gets us cut into that mold. So do you want to be a teacher or what? <laughs> what about the universities? If you look at uh, K-12, through 12, it's publicly funded through taxes. Why are colleges and universities privately funded through tuitions and Oh, yeah, a lot of a lot of universities are public too. The University of Nebraska gets the same sort of public funding that the Lincoln Public School System gets, but there is a bit of a double standard. I mean, the college environment does actually enable learning a little better. You have the option to take classes later in the day so that you're actually awake for them. You know, when the teacher is finished with you two thirds of the way through the class, he sends you away so you don't have to sit and stare at the wall while your mind goes numb. But that has something to do about the privilege of the kids who are well, being yeah. allowed to go to that. They're, I mean, they're not, well, they're of not course, I mean, the kid that, yeah, actually, the kids who are going to college have, 
for the most part, been indoctrinated already. But well, then these, they've, they've passed are, the high school test already. These or, are like the gifted classes. That's what basically not, not necessarily. I mean, it's like, co- college is a combination of kids from wealthy family who are just be, being mercenarily fed into the college system. And then it's not necessarily a matter of privilege. It's also obviously working class kids who have taken the gifted route and have shown them that they have the management potential. And these privileged people, these future managers of the system, are the ones who go to college. And so, because these people learning a thing or two is actually very important to them, the college environment is actually significantly more conducive toward them learning That's what scholarships are all about, is people that display that aptitude, that willingness to jump through hoops, uh, they may be given an additional hand up. Well, you need a few of those people because obviously, I mean, when you're when you're sort of a privileged kid in a wealthy family, when you're in that pri- when you're that privileged kid, a lot of times you don't necessarily have a work ethic of your own. So that's why I mean, you sort of need a certain one percent of a meritocratic thing just to keep your manager class stocked with overachievers. And that's what I wanted to address: the meritocratic issue. These people are very convenient. If you show this this fraction of a percent of the population that will climb from the bottom to the top, you can put them out there in the spotlights and you can say that you can be anything you want to be if you slavishly follow the the methodology of the system. You should, and if you should explain the, what do you mean by meritocratic, what you mean by a meritocracy. Well, it's the whole idea of this, you know, the Horatio Alger myth, which people maybe don't necessarily know by name. They probably heard the story, this whole idea of, well, you can go all the way from custodian to CEO if you work hard enough. And, I mean, obviously that's exaggerated. It's a myth. And second of all, it's only available to about 1% of the population. And third of all, you really have to, I mean, you really have to sacrifice a large portion of your humanity to it's a dehuman. It's a dehumanizing system. So you have to be a dehumanized person. And to tie that in is probably my favorite illustration of that point. Is the title above the work camp Auschwitz uh, in Nazi Germany? Work will set you free. So, do you want to be a teacher? <laughs> do you want to be a teacher, Jackson? I I don't really know. Well, okay. There there is. A possibility of a... You ain't, uh, ain't going to go very far thinking like there's, that. There's a possibility <laughs> of, of a free school, and I think free schools are a, a good... I, I, I would I, agree I, with that. I want Before we uh, go in that direction, I want to tie back to uh, what we're talking about, uh, climbing the scales. And I would say this was illustrated very well in my education. Uh, you start out early, and teachers and administration and parents will tell you, uh, you go on from from elementary to middle school to high school, and you're going to get more freedoms. You're going to earn your way there. If you work really hard, uh, it's going to be easier going. And we were talking about the disconnect in education to college. Uh, it's it's a little bit easier, a little bit more freedoms there. And uh, they say that's fairly, fairly uh, true, but they're... Intellectually, there really was no difference in freedom. You're told what to think and how to learn throughout the system, though uh, at a certain point, maybe you have the ability to autonomously go to the bathroom if you choose. Well, you have you have a lot more freedoms, but it's 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 more like it's more like well, I mean, you, you freedom, played you played by the rules, so you get a little reward here. Well, it's the, the freedom of high school is the same freedom as the workplace. It's the whole. You know, the whole the whole upside of high school, you know, you, you go through elementary school, they set your schedule for you. 
you go to middle school, they, they pretty much set your schedule for you. You'll go to English here, math, then science. You go to high school, you get to choose your own classes. You get to pick which bosses are going to control you that day. Just like after you graduate, you get to pick which fast food boss you're going to work the fryer for. <laughs> So you get you get this um, sort of high, this sort of uh, system of choices that ever increase to the point at which you get to choose how you want to be a wage slave. Well, we're starting to run out of time here. We really do need to find the silver lining before we all start slitting our wrists to seek. No, color. what what we're saying, kids, is that you should play hooky and stay at home and play World of Warcraft all day because... So, Brian, you were talking about free schools. <laughs> School is for losers. <laughs> school is cool, Monty. Brian, what about these free schools? Uh, I, what I, is a free school? I, I'm not familiar with them, really. A free school is a school that anyone can attend, and anyone that feels they're qualified to teach a subject can can teach, and, of course, that it's a democratically... Most of the ones that I know are, are set up in sort of an anarchist way where they're demo- democratically controlled by people that all have you the You mean same. we vote for our bosses? Yeah, you vote for... The instructors are, are voted upon. If you think you're qualified, people will you know, look at your merits and, and decide if you're qualified. And if you, you teach the class, everyone's free to attend. And it's it's... I think that... All schooling should be set up in a way that is non-coercive. I mean, of course, you're going to need parental control of children telling them, yes, you need to get some somewhat of an education, and then when you're old enough, you can make your own decision. Now, Brian, but, that, that sounds like from each according to his or her ability to each according to his or her need. Right, yes, yes. That's like, <laughs> that's like communist, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, actually. And... Um, that's free school is a good alternative to a public school, and and I'm not even sure if will the state recognize an education at a free school. I doubt it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, that sounds like way too much work. I'm going to go play some World of Warcraft. <laughs> oh, uh, Starcraft. No, it's Starcraft. Go play Starcraft. No, Diablo three. Diablo. <laughs> I don't know I would just, I would just like to share one last but little we, note from my rosy high school past here. It's sort of an interesting thing looking at the ideas of, you know, the whole idea of school as this place that just sort of gets you used to punching a time clock, this place of getting accustomed to going somewhere for eight hours, losing your freedom and taking orders and liking it. It's interesting, you know... I actually had perfect attendance through high school, and that was a very interesting thing to see at the awards ceremony, because, truthfully, I got a bigger slip of paper and more goodies than the kids who were in the honor roll. Showing up every day was a bigger deal, truly, honestly, more elite and more impressive than getting good grades. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about for a moment. Well, and we were talking about gifted students. Uh, truly, teaching, learning the test and uh, conspiring with your fellow students to answer the right answers is uh, more important than your intelligence or your capability or how hard you try. I want to mention a people's history of the United States. It was a very important book for me. That uh, Howard Zinn. 
corrected some of my miseducation along with along with James Lowen. James Lowen lies my teacher told me. But those were those were great sort of textbooks. I would call them for for re-educating and, and giving you a different perspective and kind of dispelling some of these myths. You're out of time. Uh, for Andrew Bryan. Class is out. Monty, the school bell's going to go off. Recess. Class dismissed. We're going to go. <laughs>